morning. Welcome to Grace Point Virtual Church. We are glad that you're with us today. I want to wish you all a happy uh, Thanksgiving week, however you celebrate it. Today's a little bit sad for me. This is our this is the day when we normally have our annual uh, Thanksgiving celebration. It's it's one of the events that I uh, most enjoy out of the year that we do. It's always a wonderful time to come together and to break bread and and to fellowship with one another. But this year, due to COVID, we um, we're not doing that event, and so um, it, it is it is what it, what it is. So hopefully next year we'll we'll be able to get, to resume that and. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. We are going to wrap up 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 today. Uh, it's a meaningful passage to myself, I, and I hope that it is to you as well. Um, also, uh, today is the last day to, uh, to turn in your um, Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. So, uh, if you have a shoebox to turn in and you haven't done so, just reach out to Melanie and uh, she can coordinate with you a, a time to uh, to get it brought in. I, you can do it today. You can. I think tomorrow is the last day that we are uh, accepting donations for or a drop-off location. I think tomorrow is the last day. And so, with that, um, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll look at our passage again: First Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen through eighteen. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. I ask, Lord, that you would, Lord, just help us to understand this passage, that you would minister to us uh, from your word. We ask that your spirit would lead us, that he would guide us, uh, that he would direct us in your truth. Uh, We are grateful, Lord, that Jesus conquered death and that in him we no longer have to fear death. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to better grasp what Jesus has done on our behalf today. I ask, Lord, that you would um, use this time to help us to, to truly um, get a greater understanding of what you have done so that we would have hope and that our lives um, would, would be lived for you and that our lives would be um, just honoring to you in all things. Father, we pray, especially in the midst of the coronavirus where many people are afraid and, and concerned, um, we ask, Lord, that you would help us to keep our eyes on you and that we would bring you much glory in all that we do. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort 
one another with these words. Father, we do pray that you would comfort us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to find peace in you, um, that our fear of death, that our um, desire to stay alive, to preserve our lives, uh, would force ourselves to you so that ultimately in you we would have hope, not only in this life, but in the life to come. And so, God, we ask that you would help us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. So on June 23rd of 2003, I I received one of the worst phone calls, probably the worst phone call of my entire life. Uh, My good friend had called me early in the morning, or it felt like early in the morning. Uh, I had been working a hell week shift the night before for the graveyard, and so I'd come home, I'd gone to sleep, and so sometime in the early morning hours, um, I got a call, and and I was informed that my best friend from the SEAL teams, Tom Retzer, that he had been killed the night prior in Afghanistan, and uh, it, it 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 rocked my world. It, it was an understatement. It 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 devastated me. Um, it was one of the hardest things I had ever worked through in my life. Um, I had been a Christian for I don't know about uh, six or so years at that point, um, but when that call came in, suddenly um, the things I was grappling with are things that I hadn't really grappled with in a real sense. Um, up to that point for me, and I think a lot of my peers within the SEAL teams, we kind of thought we were invincible. We were, you know, we were doing crazy things, and uh, we we just, you know, everything always was okay. And so when this news came in, he was one of the, the first of many of my friends that, uh, that, that were killed in combat, and I, there was sorrow for him, and there was questioning within my heart about um, death and life and my my own mortality and it was a it was a really a difficult time Anna and I had been married for about a year maybe a year and a few months and and so this whole season was a, was a real valley uh, for me to to sort of grapple with these things in, in, a, in, a, in a meaningful way. I mean, I think that in a general sense, I had grappled with them, but uh, this was, death had struck so close and it, it, it rocked my world in a way that I was overwhelmed. And it was at a, uh, you know, within a, a, a month or so, I found myself at a men's retreat out in the mountains with my Bible and I sort of stumbled across 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the first 10 verses there. Uh, and and really in this passage, those two sections. So First Corinthians five verses one through ten, First uh, Thessalonians four thirteen through eighteen. These are passages that are so frequently used at funerals um, to, to minister to people. And so there I was, and I uh, found myself uh, in in that moment uh, grappling with God, and then God meeting me in this really, this, this deep, dark valley of mine. And he used this passage along with Second Corinthians chapter 5 to, to truly uh, to, to minister to me and to, to help me 
um, moved some of the, the things I knew theologically from being sort of uh, out there to, to, to really being a part of my worldview. Um, as I look back, I see that this was a, 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 like a catalyst moment in my life that God ultimately has used um, in my life to allow me to, to minister in, in ways that I couldn't have um, ab- apart from experiencing death in this uh, you know, close way. Um, I have no idea as a pastor how many weddings and funerals I've officiated. I do know that I, I feel like I have officiated far more funerals than I have um, weddings. And I feel like for, for some reason, God has uh, allowed me to sort of walk through these valleys with a lot of people. And I, I do think that this subject of death um, and dying is probably the most important subject that we as Christians or as humans uh, can, can, can navigate. We, we have to address this because we all are going to die. We, we all will sort of reach the end of our lives and what we have done with Jesus is the most important thing that we can do. To, to die apart from Christ is to, to have eternity separated from God. And to die in Christ, uh, with Christ, is eternity with God. And so as we work through this passage, there's some, um, there's some this is an eschatological sort of subject, it's a, big, a big word. And it means the study of the end time. So, so within this section, um, the whole idea of the rapture, you've probably heard that. It comes from this, this passage. Um, and it's uh, so often this passage is, is sort of focused on end times. And, and I think if we do that, I'm, it's there and it's important. But if we take it to sort of arguing about uh, imagining how the end times are going to unfold, we've really missed the whole point. Verse 18 is critical. Verse 18 says, Therefore comfort one another with these words. The whole point and purpose of today's passage is to bring comfort to those who have placed their faith in Christ who are struggling with grief and sorrow um, from death, and so if we uh, if if we go down this road today and we don't keep that at the forefront, we've missed the we've missed we've missed the the whole point. We can't lose sight of verse eighteen. And so as we begin, look at verse thirteen. What we read here in verse thirteen. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters about those who are asleep. And so this word, but, it's, it's a transition. He's sort of, as he sort of progressed through this chapter, but is a, he's, a, he's, he's taking it to a, a new subject matter. I really like how the New Living Translation reads. And now, dear brothers and sisters, and so he's like, and, and now, he's introducing this, this new subject matter. He wants to get something uh, that's been on his heart that maybe he heard from Timothy that they were struggling with. 
He says, I do not want you to be uninformed. The word uninformed is literally, it's the word ignorant. So he doesn't want them to be ignorant or to to lack knowledge on a, a certain subject. And so through today and really next week, um, or, or next week's passage, we're going to deal with it in two weeks uh, because we're going to have a little Thanksgiving message next week. Um, he, he wants to inform them. He wants to, to, to enable them not to be ignorant on this subject of, of life and death. There it is, about those who are asleep. And now this word asleep, is, it's a metaphor for Christians concerning death. Um, they were uninformed or ignorant about death, specifically, as we'll see, about those who were believers and then had died before the return of Christ. So they had enough uh, theological understanding that Christ would come back. And I think that they believed that it was so imminent that nobody would die before his return. And so now you have a believer who's died. And so they had a whole bunch of question marks. So some people sort of speculate that they were concerned about those who had died. Did they miss the boat? Were, are they uh, not going to be with Christ? Um, for some others say that they were so concerned that they thought that, like the rapture that, that if they had died that they, and all the persecution they were facing, that they had sort of missed the boat. And so there was fear in that part. And so Paul over the, these next two sections is going to, he's going to clear up, um, he's, he's going to clear up some of these, th- these blurry thoughts of theirs so that ultimately he would bring them, uh, relief and hope. Um, uh, to, to illustrate this about how knowledge can bring you hope, I know that uh, a couple weeks ago I was in Portland, and so whenever I travel or whenever Anna travels, um, really near or far, what we always do is like if I'm in a plane, it's like, okay, we're about to take off. I have to turn off my phone, and I send her a text message. There's a little exchange about like, hey, I love you. I love you back, and, and uh, you know, let me know when you get there. And so however long the flight is, um, you know, we can, we can land and I can send a text, hey, we just landed, uh, you know, I'm okay, we're going to make it to the hotel now, and then you begin the next part of the journey, you make it to the hotel, then I kind of check in, and, and as I check in or she checks in with me, there's relief, oh good, they're there safely. And so Paul is sort of doing this with them, that hey, when you die, here's, here's what happens, here's some of the mechanics, and as it concerns to the end times, uh, he's giving information, and the information is going to bring relief and hope to those that were struggling with sort of uh, life and death issues. Uh, I, I so think back to that period of my life when my dear friend Tom was killed, and I was grappling with all of these things, and these passages uh, certainly gave me hope and peace about my own life and, and uh, eventual death. All right, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as indeed the rest of mankind do who have no hope. So he gives the, 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 the so that. Uh, this is a, um, th- this is a, a, a purpose clause. It's, it, it should trigger your attention when you see a so that. It, it sort of explains um, the the purpose to the th- to what was just said uh, 
And so he's talking about informing them about those who had died. And the reason that he wants to inform them about those who had died so that you will not grieve as indeed the rest of mankind do who have no hope. And so he, he wants to help them in their grief. Um, let's see, we're in verse 13. <clears throat> I've been exploring with the New American Standard, which is the translation I use. I use the New American Standard 1995 edition. It was a 77 edition. And in 2020, they, uh, they've, they've updated the translation and they're getting ready for print. I think that they're there are copies available, but it's not widespread. So I have the 1995 edition, and I also have the 2000 edition. And so I like what the 2000 did here. It sort of added the rest of mankind. It's a slight variant. And so the point here is that our grief as Christians is different. Don't be mistaken the Christian does indeed have grief when faced with death. Don't think that if you are a follower of Christ, that when a loved one dies, that you shouldn't experience grief or sorrow or sadness. That's just not true. Um, Paul, or Solomon in Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that, that God has placed eternity in our hearts. We were never created to experience death. Death as a result of sin entering into the world. We were never designed to experience it. And so when we're faced with death, there's something deep within us where it just doesn't sit right. And, and it's sorrowful. And so we grieve, but it's different. And it's different from those who have no hope. Apart from Christ, there isn't hope. And I don't know if you've been to a funeral of, of someone who didn't know Christ and the funeral was put on by those that uh, have no religious orientation. I've been to a lot of military funerals and some of them are very just dark. It's just the, the very like the end and it's hopeless and there's there's just sadness all the way around but at a christian funeral there's an understanding about the afterlife and there's hope beyond this life and it's very different so going into verse 14 here going into verse verse 14 it says for if we believe or you could translate for since we believe that jesus died and rose from the dead. Uh, so this connects the, the previous statement. We, we don't want you to be uninformed, um, uh, that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. Uh, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, this is, uh, uh, this is not a metaphor. It, it, for the Christian, he uses the metaphor sleep, that there's this separation that the, the, from the soul and the body. The body goes to sleep, but the soul continues to, to live on. But when it talks about Jesus, he uses the word died, that Jesus died, that in his death, he was dead. He was separated from the Father, that 
the, the wrath of God was placed on him fully and completely. Uh, he was not asleep. This was not a hoax. He was dead. T.E. Wilson says this on Jesus' death. He says, death has been changed to sleep by the work of Christ. It is an apt metaphor in which the whole concept of death is transformed. And I think that this is beautiful. This is the gospel, that Jesus' death transformed death. It changed everything. Um, This is the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus died for us in our place in exchange for our lives, that that he went to the cross, our sins, past, present, future, uh, for the whole world, the judgment of those sins were placed on him and the wrath of God was poured out upon him and he absorbed it all. He stood on the cross or was nailed to the cross as our substitute in our place and our unrighteousness was placed upon him. And as you receive the gift, what happens is there's an exchange and you exchange your unrighteousness for his unrighteousness. And through belief, by God's grace, through our faith, his righteousness is credited to our account. The Bible uses the word imputed to our account. We're credited with his righteousness. And this is all activated by faith. So my prayer is that you who are watching have indeed received this gift by faith, that you have come to Christ, you've acknowledged that you need him, and that he has provided eternal life to you uh, by his grace. Um, th- this, everything hinges on this. Your, your life, your eternity, there is nothing more important for you and me to, to, gra- to grapple with. He continues and he says, so also God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. So, so, so also, he's continuing. So he's, he's sort of building the logic. He says, okay, so if Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, and then he rose again on the third day. And so if Jesus has risen from the dead, then... God will also bring with him, that's Jesus, those who have fallen asleep, the metaphor for death for the believer, uh, through Jesus. Um, it, it, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a powerful thought. So as they're grappling with my uncle Johnny, who loved Jesus, he came to faith in Christ, but he had a heart attack and died last week, and Jesus hasn't come back yet. What, what about him? Is he going to be okay? Is he secure in Christ? And Paul is saying God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So your uncle Johnny, who passed away two weeks ago, when Jesus returns, he will, will raise him up as well. God will bring with him Jesus, those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. This is, this is powerful. Like uh, um, our days... Um, this this word through in the the 2020. I'm trying to look at the two, 1995. Uh, 1995. It uses the word in Jesus. You could tr- you so you could translate it through Jesus or in Jesus or even by Jesus. 
And what he's talking about is our death. Your death is, is not coincidental. The day you die, it happens because God has numbered your days. And when your days have expired, God will take you um, out of this life. Have fallen asleep or have died through Jesus or in Jesus or by Jesus. There is so much comfort in that. There is peace in knowing that my days are numbered by him. I don't have to fear the coronavirus. I don't have to fear crashing in a plane. I don't have to fear uh, a plane crashing on me. I don't have to feel like there's so many different things that you can worry about concerning the end of your life. And I'm certainly not advocating for us to be irresponsible. Like we, God has given us uh, this sort of the, um, the, the desire of self-preservation. But as a believer, I know that this, this, this life that God has given me is just simply an appetizer to true and, and lasting life. And so knowing that the day I die, it will be because God has called me home and that Jesus is taking me to the next life, I don't have to, to panic about a, you know, a spot on my arm, about the cancer that I'm battling or what, whatever it is. And again, like we're supposed to be good stewards of, of this, the planet, our lives, the things that we've been entrusted with. So I you know, believe in being healthy. I believe in exercise. I believe in going to the doctor. But in the midst of all of this, ultimately, if God wants you to live, you can, you can be in a plane crash and you can survive. It happens to people all the time. Everybody dies except for a person. Or you can go to combat and a bunch of people die and three or four survive. Or you drive down the road and a whole bunch of cars crash and you go through. Or you're in a car crash and you lose somebody. And there's great comfort in knowing that God is sovereign. He is powerful. He is in control of our lives. And so we can rest in that truth, in that reality, and we don't have to be fearful. When I look at the government trying to control everything that's happening, it's, it's in a panic state. I, I mean, I think genuinely, I think that they want to try to help. And I think they're doing the best that they can do. But the reality is, is that our, our safety and our security is found in Christ alone. He goes on to say in verse 15, for we say this to you by the word of the Lord. He's saying everything I'm expressing, this isn't Paul's opinion. This is from Christ himself through me to you. This is what God has to say about life and particularly death. It's not Paul's opinion. This is what God has revealed to Paul and to us about death and the reality that we each will face and that many of us have experienced loved ones dying from a, from a spouse to a child to a parent to a friend. This is something that the longer you live, the reality of death will begin to impact you more and more because it's, 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 it's inevitable. For we say this to you, verse 15, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not 
precede those who have fallen, fallen asleep. Okay, so we look at this, uh, that those who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord. Um, so, so Paul is giving them like another piece to the puzzle. They had some sort of understanding of the end times. They, 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 they knew that, um, you know, that, that they knew that, this, that Jesus would be returning, that he would be coming again. Um, I, I don't know that there was sort of a, a distinction between the rapture and, and the day of the Lord, and they, they were facing so much persecution, so were they in the midst were they in the midst of the seventieth week uh, of of uh, of the you know just great persecution and tribulation uh, were their loved ones did they miss the boat just so many of these things and so Paul says to them so that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord so he's looking out future and he's saying for those of us that are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord. We won't precede those who have died. So your loved one who is in the tomb, in the family tomb, or you know, buried at Valley Center Cemetery, or their ashes have been scattered at sea, or their ashes have been scattered all, you know, there's just so many different options for what the body and death can, can do. He's saying, for those of us who are alive, when the return of Christ happens, we will not beat those who have died in Christ, we won't beat them to Christ. They will actually go to Christ before us. And so Paul is comforting them that God indeed will resurrect their bodies, that their lives, their, their, their bodies that are buried, scattered, whatever, will be resurrected and will be presented before Christ. And it will not happen after those who are alive. Those who are alive will, I, like, I don't know how this is all going to happen. Like, if, you know, like if you're at the cemetery or whatever, like bodies will just radically appear and go to Christ. And then we who are in Christ will follow. I, 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 all I know is what is said before me. He says in verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. So we have this transition. So as he's, he's sort of painting a little bit more of, of, of the picture. So we know that those who have died in Christ, they will, will be the first ones prior to those that, that were alive during this time. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Now we get this picture of, of Christ descending from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and so now we're getting some pictures from Daniel, from Revelation. Well, they probably didn't have Revelation at the time. Some, some images of these, these signs that will happen to unfold uh, these pieces. And then he says that now all we have is that Jesus descended from heaven. It doesn't say that he came to earth. And we'll see in the next verse that those that are resurrected will meet him in the sky. And so it says that the dead in Christ will rise first. So now we're talking about the, re- the resurrections of, of those who have passed away. So those who have trusted in Christ, not all people, just those that have died in Christ, they will rise first. Whenever I think of this, I think of a, a seminary professor. He spoke here at the church many years ago. He's, he himself has gone to be with the Lord, uh, Dr. George Hare. 
um, at a tremendous amount of respect for Dr. Hare. Uh, he was an impact in my own life and my theological education and, and just growing um, and understanding these things. And so one of the, I had an opportunity to go to a funeral of a man by the name of Bart Brewer. And so Bart was a former Catholic priest that had converted to Christianity from the Roman Catholic Church. And he led my mother-in-law to Christ and ultimately my, my father-in-law to, 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 he had a role in their coming to Christ. And, and so when he passed away, uh, we went to this funeral. And when a Catholic priest dies, that he was a Catholic priest for many years, then he converted to Christianity, and then he led a whole bunch of, of, of priests to the Lord. He led a whole bunch of nuns to the Lord. And had just a tremendous impact, and so his uh, his funeral was very very long. When you when you have all of these former priests and former nuns speaking and sharing about him, uh, it, it was a very long funeral. And I don't remember all the details. I was there, um, but I always think about Doctor George Hare, who was the main speaker. And so he shared from these passages, and he he looked at the crowd and he said. Well, I don't know why the dead in Christ will rise first, but we know they have at least six feet farther to go than the rest of us, so they need a little bit of a head start. And and uh, and so we all kind of chuckled, and, and so when I read this passage, I, I think of him. And so maybe they go first because they, they need the head start because they're, they're buried at least six feet in the ground. It's really a lot deeper than that. Um, verse 17 then we who are alive who remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So there's, there's the picture. There's the dead who are buried. They're going to go first, meeting Christ in the air. Uh, it's, it's a tremendous thing to imagine. I think about people whose ashes have been scattered, that there'll be a regathering of their ashes so their bodies are reformed. Um, they'll be caught up in the air with Christ those who are alive, I don't know if I'll be alive then or if you'll be alive then, and who remain, we also, after they go, those will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so this phrase, will be caught up, is where the idea of the rapture uh, comes from. Now the rapture, the word rapture, is not in uh, the, the Bible per se, um, where the word and the the theological understanding of the rapture occurs is um, from the Latin Vulgate. So previously, like like hundreds of years ago, the the Bibles that we have were translated from Latin. Um, they went from Greek and Hebrew to Latin and then to English. Now our English Bibles go back to the original, like the Hebrew and the Greek. But in Latin, this phrase, will cut up, the Latin word, I believe it's raptura or something along those lines, and it's, so rapture is sort of a transliterization of that word. And so the idea of the rapture comes from those four words, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so um, <clears throat> this theological occurrence is distinct from the day of the Lord. 
And so here in verse 17, when he's talking about being caught up, when we get to chapter 5, the first three verses, in verse 2, we'll see, um, you yourselves will know full way that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. And so there's the rapture, what we are seeing here, taking up, and then there's the understanding of, of the second advent of Christ when he returns. I'm in the theological camp, and what we teach here at the church is from a dispensational position that the rapture happens um, as the 70th week that is mentioned in Daniel. Uh, we believe that the rapture happens at the beginning of this seven-year tribulational period. Um, and then the seven-year tribulational period happens without the church being there. And the reason that we uh, believe this is over in chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. Uh, the, the first part of chapter 5, it talks about sort of these the, the difficult times and, and these things that are, that are happening. But in verse 9, it says, For God has not destined us, the church, for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we'll be together with him. And so these are, these are sort of two events um, that I, that I only, just to, to kind of briefly touch base on here. Uh, and so the church is taken out here in verse 17, that the, the idea of the rapture, um, that, that there's comfort, that they, that the original readers, that they hadn't missed the boat. And as we experience, uh, persecution, when I say us, I mean believers in this era. I'm not 100%. I don't think that the coronavirus is, is, is persecution. We might be able to say affliction. Persecution to me is there's a pastor in Iran that I read in the paper this morning that he received, uh, I think it was 80 lashes in Iran for taking communion while in prison. He, he, he took communion and he drank wine. And because of that, there was, there was punishment for, I think that the punishment was that he drank wine. And so that is true persecution. Okay, so verse 17, then we who are alive will remain, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. There is hope there that when we die, uh, as 1 Corinthians chapter 5 speaks about, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Once you're present with the Lord, you're present with the Lord. You can never be taken away again. And at this moment, when we are caught up in the clouds with him, we will be with him forever. And so then we'll always be there with him. And there's great comfort in that. There's hope there. And he says in verse 18, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. In light of all that was said, this is the so what statement of Paul. In light of everything that was said, you can, we can go and we can make our charts. We can talk about eschatology. We can talk about uh, you, you know, what this will all look like. That's all wonderful. But this wasn't given so that we could fight and argue and debate with other believers about whether they disagree. Some of our brothers and sisters disagree with this. You might disagree with me. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. The, the heart of this whole passage and the only thing that I will, you know, argue or debate or rigorously defend is the whole point of this is that it's given to give us comfort. 
This isn't to talk about, oh, we're in the coronavirus and all the signs of the times and to freak people. It's not, wasn't given to scare us. It was given to bring hope that if your loved one who was in Christ died of the coronavirus, know that when they are resurrected, that they will go before us, that they will be with the Lord, that they are present with the Lord. And that when the Lord returns, you'll be, we all will be gathered up with him. And when that happens, we'll be with him always, intimately, closely, not separated like we are now. Um, there is great hope in this teaching. And as we conclude, like, like what? This whole section is about death. This whole section is about life. This, this whole section is about salvation and security. We get so running around in the world's affairs and so tied up in knots over uh, uh, you know, being fearful over whatever the media tells us to be fearful over today. And what we're told here in this passage, first and foremost, is that Christ conquered death. He was buried. He was there. He was killed. He was buried. He rose again on the third day where we are told that death is not the end. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, it describes death in this way, that death is actually you're swallowed up by life, that when you die, it's not as if you're being snubbed out like a candle. It's, it's Christ swallowing you up and that you are ultimately experiencing life as we've never experienced it before in his presence. It's a, it's a glorious thought to think that that will happen one day. That Jesus is risen. As we say on Easter, he is risen indeed. His resurrection changed everything. He conquered death. He is providing life to you, but it's not forced upon you. It's a gift to be received by faith. And the real question, have you received Jesus as your Savior? Are you certain of this? Are you secure in him? One day we will stand before him and give an account. As we, go, as we went through this passage about being caught up in our hope there, I'd also encourage you to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I've, I've, I've mentioned it throughout today's passage. And he says there that one day we'll stand before Christ and give an account for our lives. At the very end, I'm not sure exactly the verses, but by verse 10, he says, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, whether dead or alive, to be pleasing to Jesus. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so the reality that when we die and we all will die, it's appointed to each of us that we will, we will die according to Hebrews and that we will face judgment after that. That reality should affect how we live our lives each day because we will give an account. And my prayer is that you truly are in Christ, that you know him as your Savior, and that you would walk by faith, that you would live for him, that you would be pleasing to him in all that you do. Because one day you will stand before your creator. And in Christ, there's forgiveness for our sins. 
We are not exempt from judgment. We will still give an account for how we manage the things that he gave us. And I think that we're told that, well, I know that we're told that rewards will be given to us. And it'll be a wonderful day. And so my prayer is that we would live this life according to that future reality. Let us pray. And Father, as we go into Thanksgiving this week, we just give you thanks. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you uh, for how you have um, provided eternal life to us in Christ. Father, we pray that you would uh, help us to truly experience the hope that this passage speaks of. It's, uh, we know uh, it's, it's so easy for us to become fearful of death. We, we, we weren't created for it, and we know that it wasn't deep within us. It's not supposed to be that way. And so, Father, we thank you for your spirit, as Second Corinthians chapter 5 speaks of, that you gave to us as a, an, as a pledge that we, we have as a, as a, as a down payment, as a, as a deposit of this future that we long for. Father, we thank you uh, that we can be confident of our loved ones who have died in Christ before us, that they will uh, be with you as we long to be with you, and that we, knowing that if we die in this life before you come, that our salvation is secure in Christ your word tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so, Father, we thank you for the hope that is found in these passages. We pray, Father, that we would make uh, the hope, these promises, a reality in our life, how we live and how we walk and how we exchange our lives with one another. Father, we do pray for our nation that you would help it as it uh, navigates the coronavirus. We pray for the authorities that have been placed over us. We long to live um, quiet lives in holiness as, as, as Paul writes Timothy. Lord, we are grateful, Lord, for all that you have done and are doing in our midst. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. Well, I sure hope that you have a wonderful uh, Thanksgiving week, uh, however you celebrate it with your family, friends, or alone. Um, may God be with you, and may he uh, truly bless you this week. And it's in his name that I, I pray this over you right now.